Welcome again to Our Street. Lynn Fisher here with my buddy Kurt Elder, as always. Kurt, are you enjoying the sunny day? I'm enjoying the sunny day. I've enjoyed a nice weekend. It's been a beautiful. Uh, it's been it's been beautiful to be in Lincoln. So, well, as a lot of you listeners know, uh, Kurt is involved with uh, some aspects and other uh, parts of the city as far as uh, planning and development and those sorts of things. He works for the Urban Development Department. And he has brought on a guest today. Her name is Jennifer Hyatt. And Jennifer is uh, deeply involved with the planning process. And I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us about what she does exactly, what it's called. And uh, and then we'll we'll find out more about, uh, about what she does. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, Lynn and Kurt. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, I actually, in my professional life, work with Kurt in urban development in Lincoln, but I am also the host of a podcast on urban development called Booked on Planning. And it is our attempt on Booked on Planning to break down the aspects of planning. Uh, A lot of people don't know what planners do in their day-to-day life. And so we take some of the books that are around planning topics such as zoning or environmental review and we break down with the author uh like why that's important to the general population well very good kind of give us uh, some more some more uh, deep background if you would jennifer tell us where you're from originally and kind of how you uh came to be where you are with the city okay i'm actually from a teeny tiny town in the middle of nebraska called hershey not Pennsylvania, Hershey, Nebraska. Uh, I went to a K through 12 school and then came to Lincoln to go to the University of Nebraska. And while I was at the University of Nebraska, I majored in history. And then I came out of school in 2011, which was not the best time to be coming into the workforce. And when I realized that it was, I was going to kind of struggle to find a job coming out with just a history degree. I went to grad school and then law school studying economic development, land use, and environmental law. And then from there, I worked throughout Western Nebraska, and then I had the opportunity to come back to Lincoln, and I had really fallen in love with the city, so I chose to come back. Very good. Well, very interesting. So tell us, first of all, I guess, about your your podcast, and uh, how did you come up with the idea? Uh, So... We came up with the idea two years ago. My podcast host and I, Stephanie Rouse, was really actually Stephanie's um, baby from the start. She wanted to do a deep dive into planning theory and and working with our accreditation program, which is AICP certification. So in season one, we actually wanted to work with new planners. Um, So sometimes when you're coming through planning school, you know, you don't get as deep an education as necessary to pass our certification exams. So we wanted to look at some of the books that would help students really dig into and understand planning theory. Um, And sometimes theory can be a little confusing. So we started with that for season one, and we had a few rotating co-hosts as well in that first season, Kurt being one of them, actually. Uh, He did one on GIS. It was fantastic. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you. And, I'll, I'll take it. Yes, of course. 
Um, and then in season two, we got some really excellent feedback that our listeners actually weren't just planning students like we thought, or even people deep into their career that needed an update. We were finding out that general um, people from the general public were actually listening to our podcast to understand more about urban development and urban theory. And so in season two, we actually decided to turn a little more into that conversation and have the ability to break down like what is a zoning code and how does it help uh, your city and then help people understand, you know, zoning's like always in the news right now and, and land use, sorry, land use reform because of like affordable housing. People bump into affordable housing issues. They hear that zoning might be part of the cause of uh, the housing crisis. So we wanted to give them a platform where they could come learn about those concepts and then also hear different sides of the argument. So we've hosted people who've argued against zoning for, you know, for example, uh, read articles and had discussions on people who are supporting zoning. We've also worked through environmental review, that kind of topic. Sure. So just to build into this a little bit more, because I've listened to Booked on Planning for a while. And as you said, I've hosted, co-hosted one show, just one. But um, your process of, there's a process of both selecting a book, and we'll get to that second. But the process of this conversation is that you read the book, but one, you select it, you read it. But then you actually reach out to the authors to then interview the author who wrote the book. It's just not you're reading the book and just having a conversation about what you think about the book. You're actually bringing the expert into the conversations. In your experience, has it been hard to engage them, get them involved, and just, or has it gotten easier over time since you've done so many of these? Can you talk more about that? I can, and thank you, Kurt. You're right, because we do. It's not just my my co-host and I. We actually do interview the authors of the books that we read or the articles that we review. Um, And so to get to your point, the planning world is actually just really tight-knit. And so from the start, when we reach out to our authors, they're actually more than willing to have a conversation with us. They want to, they want this kind of a platform to to open up conversation with everyone. So in the, what, what, probably 70 interviews, I think that we've done at this point, um, 50, 57, I'm not sure. You lose count after you start interviewing so many people. I'm sure you guys can attest. Oh, yeah, we get that, right, Lynn? <laughs> yeah, it's only been, what, 10 plus years for us? Right. Oh, that's that's the dream, guys. Um, We've only had three authors who were unwilling to interview. So when we, so when Stephanie and I sit down, uh, the first thing, the first conversation we have when we do our planning session is what topics have we experienced that like people had questions about? So uh, that's how that's how we start trying to identify like what topics can we best help people break like break down for people, help people understand. And then we find uh, some recent books. All doesn't have to be super recent, but we do try to keep it within the last five years so that the information that's in there is pretty current. Um and. Uh, we email. It's it's always email. That's our first point of contact. And we've really had an excellent group of people 
come through and be on the podcast. I, I'm so thrilled with the amount of support that we've gotten. And, but of course it has gotten easier as we've gotten a higher readership as, as it always does. Just, just a little quick follow-up. AICP, I assume that's the American Institute of City Planning. Well, Kurt, you're AICP certified. I'm not, so I'll let you take that. Sure. So you're really close, Lynn. It's American Institute of Certified Planners. Ah, so, okay. So yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. No. So it's uh, just for our listeners have have a, have a little context uh, for a for a uh, practicing planner to be certified, and which is why these conversations are really helpful. Is that one you need to have a mix of either education and experience. So if you don't you're not from a accredited institution, you just have to practice a little bit longer. But if you're from an accredited institution, you just have to practice for two or three years. But in order for you to take your exam, you have to write a series of essays, uh, study for a test, take a test. Um, that's the uh, general method. There are some uh, different ways that you 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 can pass your test early, but then take the experience at a different place, different time. Um, but generally, um, in order to be a certified planner, um, having a depth and breadth of knowledge is uh, really helpful. And uh, that's what these uh, series that uh, Jennifer and, St- and Stephanie have been working on. Now, I know that we brought up Stephanie, but we really haven't sh- briefly shared who Stephanie is. Stephanie also works for the city of Lincoln, right, Jennifer? Yes, Stephanie is a senior planner for the planning department for the city of Lincoln as well. Yep. So, and she's also partially in charge of our historic preservation for a little bit, correct? Uh, yes, she does that. And then she actually just recently stepped into transportation as well. So she is a multifaceted right. planner. Um, and I think quite a unique breed, actually, within the planning world. So I've, I've got a question, I guess, inside baseball here. As far as certified planners, are they you have to be certified to work in a planning department for all cities, some cities, certain size cities. How does that work? So you actually don't have to be certified to work in a, like work in a planning department or an urban development department uh, at all. I actually am not AICP certified, although I qualify for it. The, um, but it's the AICP certification it really helps set you apart in say like the hiring applicant or the hiring process. Sure. Um, people know that you have or you've completed a significant amount of planning work. Your education uh, is a certain, what is from an accredited school. So the American Planning Association will go in and accredit certain schools. And so to be AICP, you have to have that accreditation. So it really gives you a boost in hiring. Kurt, do you have other benefits for AICP? Yeah, so 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 it's in private contract work. Uh, it, if you're submitting a bid or, a, uh, or, or, or if you have an opinion on an issue or topic, uh, just having that basis behind you just gives you a, a, a little bit more weight, uh, gives confidence and support to the community that's that's taking your input to them to make a choice for their own benefits. So that's the primary pur- purpose of that certification. Is there any requirement on the parts of cities to have certified planners? I would assume that that's a city to city decision. Um, but I was, but I, I believe from my own experience that that's not a 
it's not a mandatory passive. It's often a preferred uh, quality. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, Jennifer and I both love inside baseball, so that's okay. And I think our listeners have heard Lynn and I go back and forth on the weeds. So, though, so, so thank you for uh, you know, bringing that up. But, you know, I know that we you know are kind of got into that, but I think it might be near our, just our mid-break of it. Yeah, let's take a short break, and then we'll come back, and we'll uh, we'll get into the weeds some more. All right. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute or two and continue chatting with Jennifer Hyatt here on Our Street. Welcome back. Lynn Fisher and Kurt Elder here on Our Street. And today we're uh, talking with Jennifer Hyatt. And she uh, works along with Kurt at the Urban Development Department for the City of Lincoln. And uh, she and and a, and a partner uh, at the city do a podcast on books about planning. So, uh, Kurt, bring us in with a specific question for the second half of the show. Sure. So, uh, no, in class of Kurt, Kurt Passion, um, uh, during the break, we, we, we had come up with a, with a path forward. But I want to ask one question before we get to that path. Just more of a nuts and bolts bit of this. Doing a podcast takes some time. And so let's say we have a show, right? You, know, you have to read a book, you have to you know, get something organized and interviewed. When we look at that whole idea, how long does each show take? And uh, uh, is it more or less time than you thought it would be? Um, so we actually, I, I think we kind of take an interesting approach to podcasting because we, we do a biweekly episode. So one of our episodes a month is actually a full length book that we review, interview the podcast, interview the author on the podcast. And then the other is a short article. Um, and I don't know why as a slow reader, I chose to do a reading forward podcast, but I did. So uh, it actually takes me a lot longer than I originally thought to invest in this podcast. Um, I thought, oh, it's a podcast. Everybody has a podcast or a radio show. Um, how long How long could it possibly take? I was thinking it'd be like maybe five hours out of my month. Uh, but between meeting with my co-host and going over our schedules and the topics that we want to talk about, uh, working with the authors to coordinate their schedule, working with publishers, because we often end up having to work with the publisher to get the books because we're trying to be ahead of the game. So a lot of the books that we're trying to put out come out like later in the year. So we we're, we're aware of them. Um, we reach out, but then we have to work with the publishers to get the books sent to us. And then we have to read the books and they're not, most of them aren't, you know, light books, they're somewhere between 300 and 500 pages of uh, academic reading that we have to digest, figure out how we're going to break down into an easier topic of conversation so that everyone can understand what we're talking about. And then we have to prep our questions and move forward. So I would say overall, I actually end up spending probably around 20 hours out of my month, which doesn't seem like a lot only half a week's worth of work really when you think about it but for um an hour and a half worth of content feels like a lot of effort sure so so let's just take that idea knowing that this kind of work takes effort and knowing that planning for a better lincoln takes effort 
this the question that we had and the conversation we had during the break was of the you know 70 plus uh books and articles that you you have reviewed i would assume that five of them really resonated with your sense of lincoln um if we want to start with the first you know one what's the first interview or book that resonated with lincoln and then what did you take from that book or what the author has said during that interview back in Lincoln, back, back, back either into your own understanding or, or, or what you've done professionally. What's that number one uh, book? So the number one book that really stands out to me is actually City Forward. Um, City Forward is about how it's Matt Enstis's book. And it's about how to utilize anchor institutions and public input in city development. And an anchor institute, as far as Matt's concerned, uh, he works for Buffalo for a medical facility in Buffalo, New York. And so, you know, he's thinking like big picture, big campuses, those kinds of things. But as I was reading through the book and then having conversations or having our conversation with Matt, um, I just realized how many anchor institutes Lincoln could conceivably have, maybe not at the level that Matt's talking about, but, you know, we've got innovation, our innovation district that's not quite campus, but not not campus. Um, And even we've got our hay market, which if you think of it cohesively really strikes me more as an innovation district too. We are finding a lot of our smaller businesses are headquartering down there. And so talking with Matt about how to plan through uh, an innovation district per se, but really I think just like uh, an, an an economic driving district, it really made me think about how we've approached like developing the Haymarket and how we could actually do better and engage better uh, as we move through that. So that was my big number one book. Sure. So uh, just in listening to that, and so give our listeners and you just a little you know foreshadowing of what I'm going to do. I want to have a, I just have a quick comment, but then I'm going to ask you for your number two book, just to then probably number three, then we're going to tie just different concepts together and, and show how listening to a easy conversation can just really build your own repertoire of thought process. So when I was listening to you talk about city forward and then anchor institutions, you know, you then brought up an anchor place, places, uh, innovation campus, Haymarket. But then you also get into anchor organizations, whether they be nonprofit or neighborhood groups or business groups. And it's really just about what's that network of web of connections and how that web forms and how it you know, relates to each other. Um, it's something that we all often recognize, but it's just interesting to hear it in different ways. So with that going forward, if we had to pick a second book that you thought was really interesting and then how it relates to Lincoln, um, that someone might want to listen to what's the second best one that you would you know reference someone to this might be a little self-serving but i absolutely think that the high cost of free parking is just very apropos for the city of lincoln currently on right now we're having a bunch of discussions on development in the downtown development in the haymarket and People, one of the very first questions that we are asked is, well, what about the parking? Uh, where will people park when they want to come down here? And so I think, uh, I mean, I identify as a Shupanista, which I guess is getting into the weeds a little bit, but uh, Professor Shoup's <laughs> article 
on on what it costs the city to provide that level of parking and how parking and flexible parking could actually benefit the city more. I think that that conversation, Professor Shoup's just really a very vibrant human being in the first place. And I think that he does such a great job of breaking down, especially how communities the size of Lincoln should be, are kind of underutilizing their parking and could be elevating parking. I know that there's actually a pretty specific Lincoln forward part of that episode. Uh, I think that that's probably my number two most like as I was working and listening through that episode, I thought of Lincoln sure. all the time over and over. So if I can just ask, what's the, the, uh, I guess, what's the, the bottom line for parking? What's the, what's the recommendation that we do different than we do now? Um, so professor, she was actually quite complimentary of the way Lincoln utilizes parking. Uh, so the concept should be that there should only ever be one or two open spots in metered parking trying to bring people back to the garages for longer term parking. So we we utilize our um, our like the parking right up front of the stores by keeping that at like the one to two hour parking and getting parking to turn over quickly there. Uh, we're actually driving revenue generation, which is really important and helping those businesses see customer turnover. If people like who just work at the business are the people parking in front of their business because there's no limit or whatever, you know, that really pushes customers away. So that's the big takeaway. But also that Wayne is doing a great job in the parking department. All right. So uh, the last one, third book that, you know, you think that just relates Lincoln, then we're going to end with how can people find your website, find this content, engage with you. Um, but again, third book that comes right to, to the front of your mind. Um, the third book that like really comes to mind and it's not necessarily in the best light, but is our, hist- our episode on historic preservation called historic preservation. Um, that book really, I actually didn't work. I helped on the background, but it was a different co-host, but was, I was listening to it. Um, it just made me realize that I don't know that Lincoln is always taking the most forward approach to historic preservation. Uh, it's a very interesting fine line that you have to walk between economic development, revitalization, and historic preservation. Uh, and Stephanie's doing a great job, and Ed did a wonderful job ahead of Stephanie. But um, thinking through how we could maybe find better incentives work through our historic preservation uh, documents a little more. I think I thought about Lincoln a lot as I was listening through that episode as well. So, so Len, uh, and, and just to our listeners as well, just to let you know, I did an episode and she did not pick my episode. Oh, and... God, I'm so sorry. GIS is not my thing. <laughs> that's okay. No, no worries. But Len, there's an episode I think that you, you would enjoy it as, as would our listeners. It's an, it's an episode on the missing middle housing. Um, Jennifer, you, you may or may not know, but Len's a housing uh, provider. He has a number of units. And Len, how long have you been in the uh, profession here in Lincoln? Oh, close to 30 years. Yeah, you know, you know a day or two. Um, so if you could just quickly cover what that conversation looked like was. I don't know if you were, I don't know if you were part of that or not, but... It, 
if you were, could you just give us a quick synopsis, maybe, you know, you know entice Len to go and listen to it? Yeah, absolutely. That was one of our rotating um, hosts as co-hosts as well. And it was actually a very interesting time period. We were we recorded that at the end of October of last year as everyone was kind of gearing up with our affordable housing uh, action plan. And so the missing middle concept was actually developed um, somewhat by some by some planners in Nebraska. They actually had a hand in it. And the idea is that we used to build many different kinds of housing. So we had our single family detached on a large lot. We had our multi large multifamily apartments, but we also had things like townhouses, row houses, um, duplexes that were built throughout all of the residential um, districts in a, in a community. And that's the idea of the missing middle. We don't build those as much anymore. And so we either have these apartment complexes um, that are now driving up costs because it's like $1,200 to get a studio in some of these big, fancy new apartment complexes. Um, Or we have larger houses that people have tried to take the steps to create missing middle by um, breaking them up into multi-unit houses from a single family, which is a great concept but we are not actually actively incentivizing the development of this missing middle and how can communities start moving forward with that. And I think Lincoln does try and and uh, we have plans moving forward to keep that development going. Well, so as a follow-up, I mean, it, the economy of building now is, is so mm-hmm. challenging uh, the cost to develop is so high per unit per square foot that you know it just makes sense economically that a developer or it, it's a it's a very charitable thing when a developer decides to build more affordable smaller units because he's uh, taking that valuable capital and putting it into a less productive type of development than had he spent that money on a, a multi-unit or or a large single-family home in a higher income bracket for for you know folks. So, so I that's I guess that's where you all come in with incentives and programs to try and incentivize builders and developers to create some of the, the more affordable places. But it's just an ongoing challenge, and I think this is you know it's not unique to Lincoln; it's true everywhere right now. Absolutely, you know, um, one of my a family member of mine actually built single family housing here in Lincoln. And when I was first coming out of school, I had a conversation with him because I was like, you know, why do you only build these high end single family houses? And he told me that the profit margin, even on the higher end single family is at such a level that there's just no way to make a lower end of like, it costs him the same to build pretty much the same house. So whether he can sell it at this price point or that price point is really what comes down to his profit. So it's it's a hard conversation, but I think that the people working around Missing Middle make some good points and identify some really good areas that planners and economic developers need to look at as we start working to make this housing area affordable again. So we're near the end. And as much as I, uh, you know, really enjoy having people come listening to our show, finding good content and, and, and then interesting conversations, I hope that our listeners also see uh, some 
some good value in just you know threading multiple topics together, whether it be city forward, it could be um, historic preservation, this middle, or any one of the other 70 concepts. As you learn more, build more, you just get a deeper and broader uh, understanding of uh, how our uh, you know city can work, and this helps us ask better questions. What we really haven't covered is is that how can people find this what's the website and how can they get in contact with you yeah well we are available on every platform that you prefer listening to your podcast on um i do apple and spotify but we're everywhere and then the easiest way i think to search for um episodes that interest you is on our website which is bookedonplanning.com and we have our entire episode list And so you can see it in grid format or you can search topics on the website. Very good. Well, Jennifer Hyatt, thank you so much for coming on and sharing the information about uh, the great work that you do for the city and your podcast. And so um, hope you come back again someday. And thanks again. Thank you guys for having me on. All right. To our listeners, thanks uh, for hanging in here with Kurt and me for another episode of Our Street. We'll see you next week.